Okay, so Romans uh, chapter 4. Tonight will be verses 23 through 25. We'll finish chapter 4, but we're going to go ahead and uh, read 17, starting in verse 17, uh, just to bring everything into context again. So Romans chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 17. Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 17, but the class tonight, specifically what we'll dive into is really verses uh, 23 through 25. But we'll start, we'll read the, go ahead and read the whole section there just to bring it into context because context is important. If you get it out of context, then you're going to interpret it wrong. So Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 17, when you're there, say Amen. Amen. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what, what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who has delivered for our offenses, I'm sorry, who was delivered for our offenses, and was raised again for our justification. The heading is Abraham staggered not. Abraham staggered not, and that's 17 through 25. Remember last class, we talked about, we, we went through seven verses, 17 through 22, and I basically wanted to show you how that relates to us, because uh, raise your hand if God has promised you a seed. If God has promised you a son. No. <clears throat> Right, but that was the promise for Abraham, so it's like, man, how does that apply to us? Because God doesn't, hasn't promised me a son. So help me to understand why Paul brought Abraham into the picture here. Because what does that have to do with my walk with the Lord? This is Abraham we're talking about, and God promised Abraham a son. So how, how does that apply to me? Unless God has promised you a son and great, like, you know, a great nation from your seed, then it has to apply. Otherwise, Paul didn't just waste time, or I'll say it this way. The Holy Spirit through Paul did not waste time by putting this in the scripture. So it has to apply to us in some way. And now, and remember I talked about it last time, it really refers to the focus isn't so much what the promise was. The focus is that God gave Abraham a promise and Abraham believed God. And because he believed God, God 
gave Abraham the uh, verdict of justified. And he gave him righteousness, imputed righteousness. So the, the idea is Abraham believed God. And from that, he was given righteousness. God said, that's a righteous man. Even though Abraham was unrighteous. But he received it because he believed God. Paul, in the, the Holy Spirit through Paul, is taking that thought process in to show justification by faith. The promise to Abraham was just the, the blessing to Abraham was justification by faith, not by works, but by faith. That Abraham, if you believe me, you'll be in right relationship with. And I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to give you my righteousness, Abraham, if you believe, if you'll believe me, if you believe what I said. So that's where it applies for us. For us, it is, are we going to believe what God has said about what we have in Christ? If we believe that, then God looks at us and says, justified, and gives us imputed righteousness. And we need that. And I'm thankful. I'm, th I'm thankful that it's by faith and not by works. Because if it's by works, none of us can have it. But it's by faith. So that's the bring it back. And so now we're going to see uh, now verses 23, 24, and 25 really bring that out. So let's dive into verse 23. Uh, let me flip there. So I don't, okay, uh, Dad? Now it was not written for his sake alone. His struggle, speaking of Abraham, Abraham's struggle of faith was meant to serve as an example to all others, especially as it portrayed the plan of salvation. So Abraham's faith was an example of believing God, not just like an arbitrary thing, though, not just like, Oh yeah, I believe. I believe in God. Not, it wasn't like that. He believed what God said, and he believed that God would perform what He said He would perform. That for it's an example for our faith in what our final faith it will be. It is. I've said G Jesus is the Son of God, who was born of a virgin. God became man dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, never sinning, never failing, one time, not in thought, not in deed, not, not in anything. He was perfect, spotless, the Lamb of God, perfectly spotless. And then he went and he died for our sins. He died for our shortcomings, our failures, our unrighteousness. He took our place, took the curse that was meant for us upon himself. And then he was buried and raised again the third day. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's what scripture says. And then God says, if you believe that, if you believe that that was for you, if you'll believe me, I'm going to give you righteousness. My righteousness. And I'm going to call you Justified, which is not, it's a verdict, like in the court of law. It's as if God 
hammers down the gavel and says, innocent, not guilty of all charges. Actually, you've kept it perfectly. That's justification. Being justified is not just, oh, well, it's okay. That's not, that's not justification. If you think justification is just, well, it's okay. Well, we're just not going to worry about it. That's not how God do it. Justification is a verdict that says, innocent of all charges, not guilty. Even though in our own mind, we know, we know what we did. <laughs> we know that we are guilty. But because we have believed in what Jesus did, we get the verdict of not guilty. Even though <laughs> we, we know we did it. We're guilty. <laughs> We're guilty. And God doesn't pass over your sin. Jesus paid for it. He died for your sin. It's not that God just doesn't judge sin. He's going to judge sin either in Christ. Yes. Or you're going to answer for it at the, before the Lord. So your sin, your sins will be judged. Either Christ takes the judgment for your sins, or you'll stand before God and take it. Yes. That's the idea. Well, I don't want to stand before God and take the, the penalty for my sins because uh, you know, the death penalty will have to be executed against me. I'd much rather say yes to Jesus. Amen. <laughs> so Abraham's uh, struggle of faith is really what, what the purpose of it all to show that he believed God and because he believed God, God gave him righteousness. And then in the eyes of God, Abraham was a righteous man. And his righteousness was not based off of works. Not based off of anything that he did. Because we know that Abraham failed. Abraham and Sarah got in the flesh and Ishmael was born. That was a failure. And it was sin. But yet... God still said Abraham's righteous. And scripture says that Abraham staggered not. Because it wasn't, it wasn't so much that God was focused on the actions of Abraham as much as he was Abraham's object of faith. And Abraham believed God. And because that, God gave him righteousness. Uh, the next part, Ed. That it was imputed to him. Served as the manner in which the sinner comes to Christ and is fully justified by the power and grace of God. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him or accredited to him for righteousness. And that's the type of righteousness which God would recognize. And that's in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness, which means because he believed God, God gave him righteousness. He put it on his account. It, but we, we said it before, but it, you know what? It's always good to be reminded, right? Amen? Yes. It's always good to be reminded that believed God and God 
took it and deposited righteousness into Abraham's account. So before Abraham was spiritually bankrupt, he was in the negative as far as righteousness goes. Abraham was in the negative. He was in the red. He was in the negative. But then he believed God and God took his righteousness and deposited that righteousness into Abraham's spiritual account. So then when God looked at the spiritual account of Abraham, he didn't see, oh goodness, unrighteousness. That's in the negative. When he looked at it, he saw, oh, that's righteousness. It's a righteous man. So using the, the idea of a bank account, if Shane is in the negative, is in the Shane's in the red in his bank account. Let's say Shane is in just totally in the negative. He's just he's, he's owes a trillion dollars negative. He's negative a trillion dollars in his bank account, and it, there's nothing that he can do. Shane cannot get out of the trillion dollars that he can't. He, there's nothing he can do. Shane doesn't have a trillion dollars. If he did, he wouldn't be in the negative. <laughs> So Shane, Shane is a negative a trillion dollars. He doesn't have it. He has no way to get it. There's nothing that he can do. And Pastor Robert comes along and he has, he has it. He has more than a trillion dollars. And he says, Shane, if you believe that I can give you this money, then all you got to do is believe me, Shane. And I'll give it to you. And Shane's like, okay, sure, no <laughs> So Shane says, yeah, I believe. And he really believes from his heart. It's not just like lip service. Yeah. He said, I, I believe that. I believe that. I believe you have it, and I believe you'll give it to me. And then the next day, Shane goes to the bank. To go deposit, you know, $10. And he, de <laughs> he deposits $10 in the bank. And then they give him the, uh, what's that? The receipt. <laughs> they give him the receipt. And Shane looks at the receipt. And Shane has a heart attack. Because now, Shane's expecting, you know, he was in the red, right? A trillion dollars. But it's not in the red. No more. Amen. Good preaching, bad English. <laughs> it's not in the red no more. Now Shane looks at that receipt and it says it's in the positive and it just shows infinity. Basically, Shane has all that he ever needs and he'll never need anything else. Because what's been deposited into his account was enough to get him out of the negative, but also not just bring him back to neutral and zero, but more than he'll ever need for the rest of his life. And no matter how much he withdraws, there's still going to be enough. So take that idea and take that into spiritual. We were bankrupt. We were unrighteous, and God demands righteousness, but we didn't have it, and we couldn't get it. And he said, I tell you what, if you believe me, 
If you believe that I came and sent, I sent my son to die for your sins and that he's paid for your debt and everything that you'll ever need, he's provided it. If you, if you have, if that I've provided it through him, if you believe that, then I'll give you righteousness. And we believe. And then in our spiritual bank account, now, when we look, we don't see unrighteousness. And you don't see sin either. You'll see righteousness that God is looking for. Because he's put it into your account. Each one of us right now, if you believed in Jesus, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you say, I believe, I believe God, that he'll do what he said. That he said that if I if I believe in him, in Jesus, then he'll give me justification based off of my faith, not my actions, my faith. And he'll give he'll impute righteousness to me. That's what the word says he will do. I believe it. Then you stand today at this present moment, not spiritually bankrupt. But you stand as a spiritual multi-trillionaire. That means you're rich. Spiritually, you are well, you are one of the wealthiest people. You are spiritually wealthy. You might be, see, this is where you can rejoice in. You might be, you might be bankrupt in real life. But that's all going to burn up anyway. That's right, yes. And it won't matter. But in Christ Jesus, I'm not bankrupt. I am wealthy. I have all that I will ever need. Mm. That's what we have in Christ. That's God's grace. Imputed righteousness, not because of anything that you did, but because you said, I Believe. And God said, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. And because of that, imputed righteousness. And you are a spiritual. Oh, man, we're so wealthy. Man, we have so much in Christ. Mm. Verse 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be. Tells us. We can have that which Abraham had, and in fact, are meant to have what he had. Abraham had imputed righteousness because he believed God. Abraham had justification by faith. And that's meant for each one of us. Uh, the next part. If we believe on him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. This proclaims the condition for salvation. If you want to be saved, you must believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. The Holy Spirit through Paul likens the miracle of Isaac to the resurrection of Christ. Remember Abraham and Sarah as far as procreation were concerned were dead. They were dead. It was like an animal. And God quickened Abraham and Sarah's body that they might have a child. Then they had a child, and then Abraham had to offer it on the altar. 
the fact that Abraham, and in that whole thing, God was revealed to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah's provision shall be seen. But the type can be seen there that Abraham walking back down the mountain was Christ being resurrected. Because it was Christ that was always going to have his son sacrificed. It was never meant for Abraham. God was the one that was going to give his son on an altar to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. That's why ultimately Isaac didn't die on that altar and Abraham's hand was stayed and then they found the ram caught in the thicket, a type of the Lamb of God. And then the name came Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah's provi God's provision shall be seen. And he provided what? A lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, there he is, the Lamb caught in the thicket. Right, and that is why that, and many of you probably heard the Jehovah Jireh my provider, and he is our provider in all things, yes. But the primary provision that it is speaking of there is the provision that we so desperately needed the most, which was a savior, right. a lamb, that our sins had to be taken care of. And that was the provision, the primary provision he's talking about there is that you know he provided yeah. like we well, we gave the definition this morning the, the lamb of god is the lamb that god provides and approves of yeah. and that's christ yeah one of the things <clears throat> to kind of side note but not not necessarily um as far as uh as far as believe i'm saying believers because really just not as far as unbelievers this is totally you're always going to see this in an unbeliever's life, but believers, that's why I say it's more so for believers, that you'll find out, you can find out a lot about someone based off of how they view the sacrifice. Yeah. Yes. How, what, what, how much emphasis is put on the sacrifice in their own heart and life? You'll find out a lot, a lot. Uh, in the book of Malachi, me and my dad were talking about this not long. In the book of Malachi, um, the priests were offering up lame animals as sacrifices. Lame, wounded, blind animals as sa as sacrifice. There and, and I was. I, I was thinking about the, the book of Malachi recently for I have no reason why. I'll be honest, there was really no specific reason why. And the Lord told me that that same the mindset that he used because Malachi there was the four hundred year about four hundred years of silence after Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and then there's like four hundred years of silence, and then Christ comes on the scene. Messiah enters into the world. In the book of Malachi, the priests really treated, and the people treated the sacrifice as not really, it's not really that important. Right. 
the respect that they showed the sacrifice. You can see how much they really, how much the sacrifice really meant to them in the book of Malachi. So much that they didn't care to offer up lame, crippled, blind animals, and those animals were types of Christ. They were, they were meant to be types of Christ, the Messiah. They were supposed to be spotless. Yeah. And instead of finding spotless, perfect, they were offering up lame, blind, crippled animals on the altar to God for sin. That's what they were doing. They did not really care about the sacrifice. Part of it might have been that most of them didn't even know what it represented. But the point is, is that that same mindset of what they really thought about the sacrifice, they really didn't care too much about it, showed up when Christ, the, the substance of the type, came on the scene because they really didn't care too much about him either. And they had no problem sacrificing him. They had, any problem. They had no problem killing their Messiah. So the same mindset that they had in the book of Malachi, that they really could care less about the sacrifice, that when the true Messiah, the one that all of those lambs represented, when he came on the scene, what you saw was just a reflection of what they had already thought about the sacrifice. They really didn't think it was important. No regard. They had no regard for the sacrifice. There are believers, Christians, that right now love God, but yet in their life they have no regard for the sacrifice and they really care more about this world than the things of the world and everything else under the sun than the sacrifice. Yeah, you think it's not the same in you know, I did not have that they believe because, well, you know, they believe because they were Jews that nothing else mattered. They were like <clears throat> nationalistic, you know, in their view that because they were Jews, they were all right. Yeah, that they were going to be saved, yeah, 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 because we're Jews. And it's kind of the same thing today when people say, well, I'm a Christian, but then you don't see any fruit at all in their life, you know, mm -hmm. well, just because I say, yeah. Yeah. A lot of times we, we get into the habit of, yeah, I, I love the Lord. But then yet, he's really not everything to us. He's not, he's not the, the Lord of our life per se. He's just, he, we want him as a part of our life, but not as Lord of our life. I want you, I want you, and really most of the time you want him when you're in trouble. But when things get all smoothed out, then you forget. It's not so much a rejection, you just forget. Because you don't, you, you don't feel that desperate. So you're like, well, I, don't, you know, I needed you then. There's a lot of Christians like that. But that, the truth is, is that's not biblical Christianity. When I lose the regard for the sacrifice in my own life, I find sin. When I begin to lose regard for the sacrifice in my own heart, that what Jesus did for me isn't really my main focus. And it becomes anything else, either what I want God to do for me or just what I want in life for me. Anything, anything 
Other than that, I find sin begins to dominate my life. And it and what what well, what happened? Well, what, what what happened was I lost regard for the sacrifice in my own heart. That it wasn't I wasn't saying thank you for what you've done, Lord. It wasn't that it really didn't have the center of my heart. It wasn't on the throne of my heart. I had lip service that it was, but in my heart, it wasn't. And when it wasn't, I found sin began to dominate. And so that's the, wherever there's a disregard for the sacrifice, you will find sin dominating. If it's not the center of your heart, if it's not the center of your world, and he's not the Lord of your life, you will be dominated by sin. Me and Jane in our uh, conversations, you know, just me and him one on one, we're neighbors, so we get a lot of time to chat. Yeah. You know, we, we were talking, and, you know, he said, man, he said, you know, the Lord just, you know, he, the Lord, you know, he has to have all of me. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way, that's the only way that I can live, you know, I can live for the Lord, and, you know, he has to, he has to be everything to me. I can't, I can't be halfway in. Yeah. Um, yes. And th that's, he's absolutely right. And that's not just for certain people. No, that's for everybody. There's no such thing as a halfway Christian. God doesn't work like that. You're either in Christ or you aren't. You can't serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other. You can't. Be half for God and half for you. Because what will happen is you'll hate God and love yourself. That's true. That, that's what will happen. Because what's going to happen is because you're half for you and half for God, when God's will for your life butt heads with your will for your life, you'll reject God's will and go your own. Yeah. Because it's really all about you. Yeah. But yet, a true Christianity says, it's none of me and all of him. Yes. I must decrease that he may increase. Not my, what did Jesus, not my will, but thy will be done. In the garden of Gethsemane, Lord, let this, if, if there's any other way, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That is vital. That is the place that, that God's trying to get all of us. Not, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, uh, some people came to Jesus when he, uh, in his earthly ministry and they said, your mother and your brother and your sisters, they're outside. And the response from Jesus, a lot of times just get, we, we say it like, hey, but we really don't actually really look and see, wow, he responded actually pretty, really, really strong. And he said that those that do the will of my father, those are my mother, my brother, and my sisters. Which means if you don't do the will of the father, guess what you are? That's a really strong statement. Uh, sometimes we read it and we're like, yeah, praise God, but we don't really stop and actually think about what that's really saying. If you, if you accomplish, if it's all about your will, then you, you can't be my mother, you can't be my brother, you can't be in the family. 
And you, if you're not in the family, you know what you don't have a part of? The inheritance. That's kind of the idea. <laughs> if you're not in the family, you don't get a part of the inheritance. But yet Jesus said, if you don't do the will of my Father, then basically you have no part in, my, in the inheritance. I mean, that's he it's heavy. That can be a heavy, that's a heavy thing. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, because no, we know, we all know that none of us do that perfectly. There are times where my will butts heads with God's will and I end up doing mine. And then eventually the Lord gets me back on track to His will. See, that's where if you don't understand justification by faith, you're going to get torn apart. And you'll be in so much condemnation and you'll think that if you make one mistake, God's casted you out. See, but the will of the Father is to believe upon Him whom He sent. They talked about doing works. They asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, believe upon Him whom He has sent. You want to do the works of God? Believe on Jesus and you're doing the works of God. You want to do the will of God? Believe upon Jesus Christ and what He's done for you at the cross. Believe it and accept it. And guess what you're doing? The will of God. That's really what we was talking about. If you if you rejected Christ, you would have been against the will of God. And you definitely not get any inheritance. And you can't be in the family because that's the only way. Uh, verse 25. Who was delivered for our offenses. This is speaking of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And was raised again for our justification. Pertains to the resurrection of Christ, which, which affected our justification. If Christ had not risen from the dead, the price paid in his death would have been to no avail. The, the, the fact that Christ was raised from the dead is a testimony that what he did on the cross was enough. Yeah. The resurrection is the evidence of Brother Larson in Bible College. He said that the, the resurrection is the evidence that what Jesus did on Calvary was enough. If Jesus didn't pay for one, if there was one sin left not covered by the blood of Jesus, if one one then he couldn't have been raised from the dead because all sin wouldn't be paid for and death would have still had a hold but death was defeated because every sin was paid for and the sting of sin is death that's why the curse of the broken law was death you sin you die spiritually Death, separation from God. Physical death happened to be another one of those, but ultimately it's the separation from God, spiritual death. That's the real penalty. But because Jesus paid for every sin, that's the ones you've already committed in your past. That's the present, the one you committed today, and you ask for forgiveness. And that's in the future. The one that you're going to commit in 10 years that you don't know about, but you're going to bite off a big old piece of stupid. Mm -hmm. 
And you're going to do something that's totally wrong. And you're going to ask for forgiveness. And that sin's already paid for. Because you believe in the person that paid it. And you believe that it's enough. And it, the, test, the, the fact that he was raised from the dead proves it's got to be enough. <laughs> Another thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the Holy Spirit can live on the inside of you and he doesn't have to leave. It's testimony that what Jesus did is enough to, to give you righteousness and justification because the Holy Spirit cannot stay where sin is. So the fact, that's why he couldn't stay in any believer in the Old Testament. It's because the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. They could only cover them and basically make you ceremonially clean. Right. But when Jesus came, he took away sin completely. Like my dad preached this morning. Sin has been taken away. There's not that God looks at you and says, innocent on all charges. Actually, you kept the law perfectly. That's how God sees it. That you've never failed, not one single time, that you are just as perfect as Christ is. That's the truth. That's what scripture says. Because you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, the righteousness of God is perfect. So in the eyes of God, that's how you are, that's how you, that's how each one of us are right now. God sees us as though we've never failed one time. Don't care what your past is, don't care what you did today, and I really don't care what you're going to do in 10 years, because if you believe in Jesus, then you have the perfect, spotless righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of your faith. And God sees you as totally perfect, as though you've already been glorified, as though you're living in a glorified state, that, that, you, that you're just in a robe of righteousness. That's how God sees you. I'm thankful for that because I blow it a lot. Maybe, obviously, you know, probably none of you got to blow it, but man, I blow it. Well, you'll get there. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I blow it. If you got, if I'll take, if you had one, if you could get one glimpse into my life, you would be like, what in the world is this dude here? But because of my faith in Jesus, I have righteousness. Now, if you, if you want to come examine me and move in with me and find out everything about me and my condition, just ask my wife. And she'll tell you right now, he is not perfected yet. The Lord's still working on him in his condition. But in my position, in my position, I'm just like Christ. Perfect. I'm just like Christ. I'm perfect. Never sinned one time. That's how he views me. I pray that the Spirit of God wakes you up at 3 a.m. this morning. And you get the revelation of that. And he makes it real. I'm talking about real to your heart. And that you wake up and you go. When God looks at me. He doesn't see all my faults, all my failures that I see and everybody else sees. 
he sees Jesus. Yes. When he looks at me, he sees his son. That's him. Who is perfect. Yes. Amen. That happened to me while I was in Bible college. Two o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And the Lord made real to me justification by faith. And I got so happy at 2 a.m. I was that close to opening that door to my dorm room and just running up and down the hallway. Because I was so full of joy. Because I had seen. Not, not, not here. Right here. It went. It dropped from head knowledge to my heart. And I woke up and I said, thank you, Jesus. And I just wanted to shout, but it's 2 a.m. and my roommate's sleeping, so you can't shout. <laughs> so I really, I felt like a bottle rocket that was about ready to explode and there's nothing I can do because I can't wake up everybody. <laughs> and when God looks at me, he sees his son. He doesn't see Tanner. When God looks at Shane, he doesn't see Shane. Because Shane's, because of Shane's object of faith, he looks at Shane, and if Shane has his faith in Christ and what he did at the cross, then what happens is God looks at Shane, and he sees Jesus, and he says, "Look, look at my son. Look at my son. He is right. Look at that righteous. My son." is righteous. And you know what he can do? He can pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing because he really can't bless us. But he can bless his son. Yes. And because we're in Christ, that's how we receive the blessings of God. I've received blessings that I don't even deserve. But God's able to give them to me because I'm in Christ. And when he looks at me, he doesn't see Tanner. Thank God. He yes. sees Jesus. Yes. So when he looks at Shane, he sees Jesus. When he looks at Dad, Pastor Robert, he sees Jesus. When he looks at Brother Danny, he sees Jesus. If we have the right object of faith. If your object of faith is not and the cross and it's works or your own self, then when he sees you, he sees you. He doesn't see Jesus. Which means, and you know what he can do? Bless you. Because he can't bless him. But we're in Jesus. We're in Christ. So when he sees you, he sees Jesus. And he said, that's, that's my son. That's my daughter. And they're perfect. Just like me. Yes. They belong to me. And you know what? I want to bless them. See, he is a blessing, God. But if you want to start taking credit for all the blessings, then they'll stop coming because now you're standing on your own. Yeah. Uh, let me just, I'll just say this. If we, if we really got a hold of being in Christ and that everything that we receive from God is because of what Jesus did at Calvary. And every blessing that we get, regardless of what it is, spiritual or even material in this life, 
is because of Jesus and ain't got nothing to do with you. Then you know what will happen? God can bless us more. Because we won't boast in ourselves, we won't glory, and more importantly, the blessing won't become our God. Yes. And He can just lavish and lavish. And la as a child, I'll tell on me and my sister. We got real spoiled one year. My parents gave us a ton of gifts. After that, we said, that's it. Guess what didn't happen? No more at Christmas. <laughs> we didn't get a bunch of gifts ever again at Christmas. That's what will happen, though, if you don't have the right object of faith. Because we'll, we'll become spoiled brats who think, well, that's it. Then nothing that God gets you will ever be good enough. And you'll always be reaching out for more. Give me, give me, give me. He gives you this. That's great, but that's still not enough. But if the object of faith is Christ and what he has done, then even if he doesn't give you anything, you know what you'll be saying? Lord, I'm full. I'm, bl I'm blessed and in need of nothing. You've given me everything that I'll ever have need of. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Now, if you do that, if, we, if me and my sister never would have had that response, and we would have said, this is just, just we didn't need up this. You just one is enough, or even none. We just never would have. What would have happened is we got more gifts. You see, if Jesus isn't enough for you, then you're you're gonna find that you're always gonna be unfulfilled. You won't be satisfied with anything that you get. I had to learn that lesson before I got married. God taught me that lesson in Bible college. That I finally, and my parents can attest to it. I'm not, this is not, I'm not just talking. Just, my parents watch me struggle through it because it's a battle. When, when God's trying to teach you something, man, we battle it. So they, I, they, can, they can attest, they are witnesses <laughs> that God, God had to teach me that, and I did not learn it quickly. But I got to a place eventually. And it was because of the message of the cross. Because that allowed, the message of the cross is what allows the Holy Spirit to work. If, you, if Otherwise, the Holy Spirit can't work. And you'll find that in 20 years, you'll be the same as you are right now. But when you have the right object of faith. The Holy Spirit can work. You're not going to change over. It's going to be like a, some overnight thing. But I began to find myself fulfilled and satisfied, even without a wife. Jesus, just what I had in the Lord was it? Made me cry. Just what I had in the Lord was more than I could. Whenever I began to see it and learn it. And it became real to me. I, I, I began to stop complaining. 
about what I did not have. And I began to say, you've been so good. I'm blessed beyond measure. That song was, that song that Grace sang became like an anthem for me. I'm blessed beyond measure. So far beyond what's gained through earthly treasure. Whatever comes my way, still my soul will say, I am blessed. I am blessed. And I, I just had, I can't even just express it. Such a fulfillment. And then you know what happened? The little brought Sarah into my life. And she doesn't fulfill me in any way, and I don't expect her to because she doesn't need to. I already have everything I need. And if something ever happened, Lord forbid, I still have everything I need. It would hurt. But I still have everything I need, and I can still say, I am blessed beyond measure. So far beyond what's gained through earthly treasure. Whatever comes my way, still my soul will say, I am blessed. I am blessed. God revealed himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. It speaks of providing a redeemer, which would be the Lord Jesus Christ. The conclusion of the argument is that God declares the guilty righteous on the principle of faith as opposed to works, and that he never saved men on any other principle. The doctrine of justification by works generates religious pride. That of justification by faith produces humility, which was evidenced in Abraham. In the matter of justification, faith and works are opposite and irreconcilable, as opposed as grace and death. Since God declares ungodly men righteous, works cannot in any sense furnish a ground of justification. Therefore, the first step toward salvation on the part of a sinner is to humble himself and accept the divine pronouncement that he is ungodly, exactly as the scripture says. The second and concluding step is to keep faith in him who justifies the ungodly. Nothing gives more glory to God than simply believing him. Justification is not a change in character, but a declaration by God as to the believer's standing before him. It is objective. It changes not. Sanctification affects one's character and is subjective. One more time. Justification is not a change in character, but a declaration by God as to the believer's standing before him. It is objective, it changes not. 
one of the things about justification by faith, because it's a, it, it's, a, it's a strong thing, but yet if you really believe justification by faith, then you must believe this, is that sometimes we do do stupid things and we <laughs> sin. And yet, even in the act of sin, while you're failing and busting your face, that you're still in right relationship with God. Yeah. If you keep believing, right? Now you are going to have to repent of that sin. Yes. But yet justification is by faith, not works. So even in the middle of biting off a big old piece of stick, if you still believe, and you're still in right standing with God, and when you repent, He'll be so fast to forgive you. Uh, I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, and then we'll probably close right after that. And we'll eat some of that good, good gumbo that I smelled earlier. <laughs> Galatians chapter 3. Verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham, which is justification by faith, might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That the blessing to the blessing of Abraham, as much as it was a son, was justification by faith. And that same blessing is meant for each one of us. And it comes upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we can have the same blessing Abraham had. Justification by faith. If you believe in what Jesus did for you at Calvary, and what God said that His finished work accomplished, then you have justification by faith. And in the eyes of God, you are righteous as righteous can be. You can't be any more righteous than perfect. And that's what you have in Christ. You have perfection. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.